Okay, let's pray. God, we're just excited to be here. We're excited what you're doing uh, in our lives. We're excited what you're doing in our church. But most of all, we're just excited about you and this incredible calling that you have on every one of our lives. We come to you, we find out you have this incredible vision, so much bigger than we could ever imagine, not just to be forgiven, but to be transformed, renewed, changed, become like you. And so we're able to enter in and build these kind of relationships we were designed for. And so as we we start today, let's we jump in this, uh, this topic today. I pray you'd be with me, bring me great clarity. I pray you'd anoint me with your spirit. I pray that you'd gather us as a church around your word, that we would be open to your spirit, and you would lead and we would listen and follow. We pray in your name. Amen. Amen. Well, our story starts today <laughs> on uh, the campus of Stanford University. And uh, <laughs> we're watching... As a group of researchers are looking through some one-way glass into a room, and uh, they're going to be bringing in a series of four-year-olds. These are children of the staff, faculty, and graduate students of Stanford University. They're going to bring them one one at a time as they bring them in the room. It's not much in the room. It's just a table, chairs, it's a plate on the table. And so as they bring him in, uh, the researcher comes in and meets with the first child and just begins to connect with them, make them comfortable. And then he says, you know, I need to, I'll be back in a few minutes, but I I need to run an errand, but I'm going to leave a marshmallow here uh, on the plate in front of you. And so if you want to, you can go ahead and just eat it. That's fine. It's it's totally fine. You know, or if you wait till I get back, um, you'll get two marshmallows. And so then the researcher leaves, closes the door, and all the researchers go in close to the one-way glass to see what is about to happen. Well, today, we are continuing the series. We've been the last six or seven weeks. It's called uh, Renew uh, and uh, the Character of Great Relationships. And uh, if you were here the very first week, that um, we set the series up by kind of listing out five core principles, basic principles that are going to lead us through every stage of the way, uh, kind of set us up for success in this series. And if you were not here that opening week, or you're just visiting, or you're brand new, I'd really encourage you to go back to our YouTube channel and uh, pick up that first week, because it really kind of gives context for the whole series. But uh, we're not going to do that today. But what I do want to do is just kind of hit on the very first principle. They're there in your, your note sheet. There's five of them. Um, and there's a section there called Renew the Character of Great Relationships, and I want to hit this first one just because it sets up the series, but also prepares us for what we're going to be learning today, and so that very first principle was that God's vision is renewal, and so we've talked about that, that when a, when a man or woman comes to Jesus, that God's vision for our life is so much bigger than we'd simply be forgiven of our sins. Uh, that, obviously, that's huge, but it's so much bigger than just forgiven, but his vision is that we would actually be radically transformed, that we would be changed we would be, in the, in the term of this series, renewed to be like our creator again, which in turn, then would give us the capacity, the power to build the kinds of relationships in our life, not only with God vertically, but with one another horizontally in our marriages, uh, in our, our families, in the co-workers, friendships, ministry teams, and so on, that we were created to, uh, to build. Now, topic on the table, so what we're doing in this series is we're looking at seven key character qualities that um, Paul talks about in, Galatia, in uh, Colossians 3. So there in your note sheet, you see that one verse in Colossians 3. Colossians 3 is our, our, our key passage in the very first week of the series. We took a long time unpacking it, but when you get to verse 10, it's the heart of this series. It talks about God's vision of renewal. Uh, and so what we're doing is we're, we're, we're focusing on seven key character qualities that we need to grow in, be renewed in, to become like our creator if we're going to build these kinds of relationships. Now, topic on the table today is self-control. Now, like I said last week, I'm sure probably no one here struggles with that in any way, but I would encourage you to take good notes because there's probably someone you live with or know who will need some help in these areas. Now, uh, it's interesting because this topic is sort of like the topic last week, which was courage. And last week, I point out the topic courage didn't show up in our list in Colossians chapter 3. And and this is the same way. Self-control, if you go through Colossians 3, it's not in our list. But unlike last week, where I said courage doesn't show up in any of the lists in the New Testament, this one does. Self-control does. In fact, 
it shows up in one of those famous passages in the New Testament, a passage where these new character qualities that uh, grow in our life as we're listening and following the Holy Spirit listed. It's a passage in Galatians 5, what we call the fruit of the Spirit. Now, we'll be talking about the fruit of the Spirit later on today, but all I would say right now is that sometimes if you're a longtime Christian, we can miss the obvious because we're too familiar with words. And I think for sure, we talk about fruit of the Spirit. I mean, that's as bad as like fruit of the loom. I mean, we just like, <laughs> like we just, we like fruit of the Spirit. We just throw it out. We don't even think about what that means, right? So we're going to come back to it today. But there in your note sheet, you have a section called self-control, two working definitions. And right below it is this very famous passage about fruit of the Spirit. So what I want to say for now, we'll talk more about later, is what Paul is going to be saying, we'll talk about this more later, is that when the Holy Spirit comes in our life, when we come to Jesus and the Holy Spirit comes in our life, that as we learn to listen and follow his leadership, the Holy Spirit catches supernaturally, begins to create certain character qualities in our life that allow us to build relationships. And so he lists it there, he says, the fruit of the Spirit. So notice it's not the fruit of your self-effort. It's not the fruit of your willpower. It's not the fruit of your discipline. We'll come back, but it's the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit, and he lists these qualities, love, joy, peace, patience. These are all critical for relationship, by the way. Kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness. And then the last one is what? Self-control. And so what we see is one of the most important lists in the New Testament. We see self-control is mentioned. And uh, it's an interesting word. I don't always do this, but I want to give you the Greek word for this because I think you might, it might be helpful. But the, the, it's actually made out of like two words. And so I'm going to spell it for you. The, the word is called egkratia. Eg egkratia. And so E-G, um, in English, E-G, and then K-R-A, and that's where the, the accent is on the second syllable, egkratia. And then it's T-E-I-A, egkratia. And what's interesting about the word egkratia, it actually comes from the word for, uh, from a verb, uh, like krateo, um, something like that, that, that has to do with strength and power, all right? So the concept behind egkratia is you have the strength or the power in your life over your life. You have the power and the strength to control yourself. It, it has to, it, it's, that's the, the concept. So what I want to do is I want to give you a couple working definitions for our time today, uh, both from a positive and a negative, all right? So there in your note sheet, you have a section. We're just going to start with a positive. So here, here we go. Let's fill in some blanks. Self-control is the ability to do the right thing at the right time in the right way. Self-control, you, you have the ability that you can actually do the right thing at the right time in the right way. Now, all three parts are important. So let's take it financially. Like self-control means that you, number one, pay your bills. That's the right thing. You pay them on time. That's right. And you pay them with the appropriate currency. <laughs> like, you know, you don't, I'm going to Israel in a few weeks. Like, you don't, like, you know, send shekels to Southern California Electric, right? Uh, so, um, so, so self-control is the ability to do the, the right. So, so, for example, um, let's take it like in marriage. So self-control, the right time, uh, the right thing, the right time, the right way. So it means, like, say you're, it's your anniversary, guys. We give our wife flowers, it's the right thing, but we give them to her on the anniversary, <laughs> not the next day when we forget. So it's the right thing. And then we do it the right way. We do it as an expression of our love and appreciation. We don't give her the flowers and say, I hope you appreciate how much these cost because it's killing me. <laughs> uh, and actually, I think they're a little bit more than I should have spent on you, but I'm hoping it improves your attitude. Um, okay. So we want to do the right thing uh, at the right time in the right way. Now let's look at it from the negative side, all right? So let's give a negative definition. Self-ability, self-control is the ability to say no to yourself in the short run so you can say yes to yourself in the long run.
Self-control is its ability to say no to myself today so I can say yes to myself at some future tomorrow on something more important. So we call this uh, the principle of delayed gratification. That, That we need to be able to learn how to say no to myself today so I can say yes to something more important uh, in the future. And so, by the way, you see this, I mean, this just goes to the core of our faith, right? Remember what Jesus said? Jesus said that what does it profit a man if he gained the whole world in the short run, but he lose his soul in the long run? So as followers of Jesus, uh, this kind of goes to the core of our following him, right? So, Anyway, of course, the question is, so, okay, so we get what self-control is, but why is that so important in relationships? That's what this series is about, being renewed in the character of the career so that we have the capacity to build great relationships. So why is it so important? So let's talk about there. Then you know, self-control, why it's so important. You know, we started the day with a story about the four-year-olds. And it's really a fascinating study. My guess is that some of you have heard of this before. It's been around for a long time. I've even used it as an illustration many years ago here. But it was a, research, a very famous research project that was done on the campus of the Stanford University back in the 1960s. And what they wanted to see, is there any correlation between a child's ability at age four to delay gratification or control themselves? Is there any correlation between that in terms of their success later on in life as they move into adolescent and adulthood, both in relationships and just life in general. And as you might imagine, as they observed all these four-year-olds one-on-one, there were many different uh, responses. You know, some kids, as soon as the researcher's out the door, they're going for the marshmallow, right? A bird in hand, you know, bird in hand is worth two in the bush. You may not, who you know, that guys might be lying. I might never get that, right? So, um, I'm going to go now. I need the calories. Um, and uh, so, and there, of course, there's other kids that they would, uh, they would try to postpone for a while, and they would really fight themselves for a while, and then they'd finally give in, you know, and they'd give up, and they, they'd eat the marshmallow. And then, of course, there's other kids that uh, they would wait the whole, it was like 15 to 20 minutes, and they would wait, and they get two marshmallows. And it's really funny because as the researchers were watching them, some of the strategies were hilarious. I mean, some of these kids were like covering their eyes. <laughs> uh, some, were, um, some were resting their heads on, their, on the table so they wouldn't have to look at the marshmallows. You can kind of picture those four-year-olds. Um, some were like talking and singing to try to distract themselves. Um, some were um, playing games with their hands and feet, just kind of doing something. You know, just some were actually trying to go to sleep just to make the time go faster. But what was really fascinating is that they, they, is that they, they followed these kids for the next 10 to 15 years. And what they found out, there was a very strong correlation between the ability to say no to yourself at four, delayed gratification, and your success, both in relationships and life later on. In fact, in uh, Daniel Goleman's book, I mentioned a few weeks ago, Emotional Intelligence, he describes this, and he says there in your note sheet, he says, those who had resisted, resisted temptation at four we're now, as adolescents, more socially competent. And, of course, that's what we're concerned with, like building relationships, right, healthy relationships. But they're also personally effective. They were self-assertive. They are better able to cope with the frustrations of life. They were less likely to go to pieces, freeze, or regress under stress, or become rattled or disorganized when pressured. They embraced challenges. They pursued them instead of giving up in the face of difficulties. They were self-reliant and confident, trustworthy, dependable, and they took initiative and plunged into projects. And more than a decade later, they were still able to delay gratification in pursuit of their goals. Fascinating. And so if you were here a few weeks ago, we talked about empathy. We talked about this, that Goldman goes on to identify in emotional intelligence back in 1995 five key characteristics that make up emotional intelligence. And he said two of the five were the most critical because they laid the foundation for the other three. And so a couple of weeks ago, we talked about number one was empathy, but the second one is what they call uh, self-management or self-control. It's the ability to control your emotions and control your actions. And so there on your note sheet, I put the quote again. 
He says, the fine art of relationships, remember that's the topic of the series, the fine art of relationships requires the ripeness of two other emotional skills. Number one, self-management, what we're talking about today, self-control, and then second, empathy, we talked about a couple weeks ago, and with this base or this foundation, catch this, the people skills ripen. You want to build solid relationships, you have to have empathy, be able, remember, to read and react the emotions of others, and then you have to be able to, to control yourself, right thing, right time, right way, ability to say no to yourself. And he says, these are the social competencies that make for effectiveness in dealing with others. Deficits here lead to ineptness in the social world or repeated interpersonal desires. Thank you. So, <laughs> so we're going to see today. I'm pretty secure. All right, so if there's anything else you want to correct, just feel free. Like, no, I don't think that's right. I don't really buy that. Baloney. Um, right. uh, so I want you to think about this, how critical self-control is, like even in this series. We've talked about some of these, uh, we've talked about what, six now, this is number six of our uh, are five of our key uh, qualities, you know, authenticity. And stop and think about this. Authenticity, this ability to be radically honest with yourself and face the truth, that takes a lot of self-control, doesn't it? It's really tempting to turn away from the truth. I just don't want to see that. Think about integrity, the ability to do the right thing regardless of the cost. Boy, that takes a lot of self-control, doesn't it? Um, think with me about courage, facing our fears, moving towards our fears. Does that take any self-control? Absolutely. Think through your own life. Think through your life and your, your experience with relationships. Have you ever, no show of hands here, have you ever seen a life destroyed by a lack of self-control? Have you ever destroyed your life because of a lack of self-control. Have you ever seen a life destroyed because someone can't control what they say? Have you ever seen a relationship damaged because someone can't control their sexuality? Have you ever seen a relationship destroyed because someone can't destroy their or can't control their anger? Or how about their spending? Elbows in. Um, addictions, right? Like if we can't control ourselves, it is impossible to do relationships well. Now, the good news, this is the good news, is that this is why Jesus came. Jesus came to give us back our control. And this is really fascinating when you look through this lens. Um, because when you think of the story that the Bible is telling of our race, the story of our race is about a race that rebelled against its creator. Why? Because we wanted to be in control. We thought that we would have more freedom, more fun, more fulfillment if we do what we want to do. So we took control. But here's the irony. As we reached for more control, we lost control. And what happened in biblical language, we became slaves of sin, slaves of the dark side, slaves of those attitudes, actions, emotions that destroy relationships. And so here's what I need to catch. One of the reasons Jesus has come is to restore and give us back control of our lives. That's powerful. There in your note sheet, I mean, just let me give you one example. This is from Titus. I know that many of you, that's your favorite book of the Bible. In Titus chapter 2, you know, Titus is, uh, Paul's writing to this young pastor, Titus, and he says, he says, Titus, the grace of God has appeared. And, and he says, in other words, this love of God that we don't deserve, that he's come after us as a race, the grace of God has appeared. He's talking about the, the coming of Jesus Christ and the gift of salvation. He says, the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation, rescue, redemption, renewal. And, and he says to all people, he says, this grace of God, this message of Jesus, it teaches us to say, catch this, no to ungodliness. And catch this, 
Sometimes we have to get a new dictionary. We've got these old bad dictionaries in our brain. In this whole series, our goal is to be recreated to be like our creator. What's the opposite of being like our creator? Ungodliness. It's the opposite of being like our creator. And he says, so this grace has come to teach us to say no to these old things. Like what? Like hatred, like lying, like a lack of authenticity, like pretend, these exactly these things, these ungodly things. And to worldly passions, these, this pull to the dark side. And to live, here we go, what? Self-controlled, upright, and godly, like our creator lives. So Jesus, but here's what Paul says. Hey, the grace of God has appeared. Jesus has come. And why has he come? He's come to set us free, to teach us how to say no to the dark side so we can live self-controlled lives, these lives we were designed to live. Jesus came to give us back our life. So what I want you to catch is that if we want to build solid relationships, if we want to be renewed in the image of our creator, if we want to have a capacity to build, like in your life, in your marriage, uh, your friendships, your work relationships, your ministry teams, your parenting, if you want to build great relationships, one of the most critical components is self-control. The ability to do the right thing at the right time in the right way, to say no to yourself now so you can say yes to yourself later. But of course, that raises the question then, well, how do we grow? And I'm so glad you asked. There you know, she, self-control, how can we grow? And I just want to give you two principles that allow us to kind of, kind of, uh, kind of get at this. And so I want, to, I want to make two statements here. They both have to do with the work of the Holy Spirit in our life. And the first one goes like this. So we're going to need to do some, we're going to, this is going, we're going to step back and do some theology here, all right? Some big picture reality about the human case, uh, the human, uh, a human situation. You know, when you think of theology, a lot of times people are like their eyes roll back. But theology done well is just a description of reality. And so we're going to need to step back and say, where did we come as a race? And, and how did we get here? And how do we get out? And so number one, we're going to look at that. So it goes like this. Self-control is, is, a, is the gift of the Spirit. Now, this is interesting because I think most of us would say self-control is something that I produce. Self-control is based on choices I make. Self-control is a result of my discipline, my willpower. It's what we say, right? Like we can't stay in a diet, so we say, I need more willpower. So that often we tend to think of something as self-control as we bring to the table, and of course, there's an element of truth there. I mean, we can change ourselves at some level, but when you look at the biblical, the biblical story, it says at a core level, you cannot change yourself at the most, the most important ways in life. The biblical you cannot change yourself. You, as fallen human beings, we do not have the capacity to change ourselves in the most important areas of life. And so what we're going to see is what the Bible says is that self-control, it is, it has to be a gift of the Holy Spirit. Now, when I say that, I'm not saying that we don't have a part to play as if you just go and pray and boom, it comes down. There's a part to play. But what I'm saying is that it's not the result primarily of our willpower, our self-discipline, our self-effort. That if we're going to become the people we're created to be renewed, it's going to be the result of the Holy Spirit's work in our life primarily. Now, this is what we saw in Galatians 5, right? The fruit of the Spirit. I want you to think about that. I want you to think about that phrase. Again, this is one of those things where sometimes it's a greater advantage to be a brand new Christian than an old Christian because oftentimes we think we know what the Bible says when we don't. But notice as the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace. What is Paul saying? He said, this is the result of what the Spirit does in your life. It's the fruit of the Spirit. It's not the fruit of yourself. It's not the fruit of your discipline. It's not the fruit of your willpower. It's the fruit of the Spirit. So it's comparing our lives to a tree and the sap that produces the fruit in our tree is the Holy Spirit. Without the Holy Spirit, we are dead. 
take off, take, go out and prune a, prune a branch from your fruit tree, let it sit there for a year, and then come back and say, okay, I'm going to try to make this thing produce fruit. It doesn't have the capacity to bear fruit. It only has capacity when it's connected to the tree. And as a race, we have been disconnected from the creator. We don't have the capacity to bear the fruit of the spirit apart from Jesus Christ and his work in our lives. This is why the human race is like it is. How many great ideas have there been in the history of our nation? Hey, let's just love one another. Let's just get along. Hey, I know, let's just take care of the poor. How many great ideas have there been and how has that gone for us? The problem is we are cut off from our creator and we don't have the capacity to bear the fruit of the spirit. What we have the capacity is to bear the fruit of the flesh. And if you want a list of that, you go up a few verses. And it's called the works of the flesh, dissensions, orgies, sexual immorality, anger, hatred, slander. That's what we do. That's who we are. That's who we are as a race. You don't believe it? Read human history. Right now, I'm listening to a huge biography on Caesar Augustus. I love doing this stuff because it just gives me an insight into Rome, the time of Jesus. Man, it, it's a, you do not want to go there. Hey, when they don't like their leaders, they cut off everyone's head and they post them in the forum. It is a brutal place. You study human history. You want to know what the human heart is like? Study human history. Now, therefore, if we are going to be changed at a core level, it has to come from the outside in. Like it, it has to come from something outside of us. And so Paul, the Apostle Paul talks about this in Romans 7. And of all of our messages, probably in this series, this will probably be the most like theological, right? But hang with me. It's just so important we get this. In Romans 7, Paul is laying out the story of the human race, our rebellion against God, what it makes. And what he says is, apart from Jesus, we're a mess. And uh, he says in Romans 7, it's a very famous passage. Some of you will be very familiar. And again, that may be dangerous. He says, we know that the law, and when he says law here, he's talking about the law, the Old Testament law that God gave Israel, right? The law, think of it as um, like the Ten Commandments would be the heart of it, right? Uh, Jesus broke it down even more. He said all the law can be summarized in two commands. Love God, love your neighbor. Now stop and think about, let's run the, the Ten Commandments through that grid. Often we see the Ten Commandments as restrictive, that's because we are screwed up. <laughs> Stop and think about it. All the Ten Commandments do is say, this is what it looks like to love God and love people. If you love someone, you don't steal his stuff. If you love someone, you don't steal his wife. If you love someone, you don't steal his life. Duh. Like, we, we need the slow class. Like, here's Ten Commandments for Dummies. I could have just told you, love your neighbor, but I need to kind of break it down for you. Don't steal his stuff. Don't steal his wife. Don't steal his life. Oh, okay, we got it. And then how do we do with that? And so he says, we know the law is what? What's the next word? Spiritual. Often in Christian circles, the law gets a bad name. The law was beautiful. It was a gift to Israel to teach them the path of life. It spells out what it looks like to love God and love your neighbor. It's a beautiful thing. He says here it's spiritual. In other words, a gift of the Spirit. He said the problem is not the law. He says, but I am what? The problem isn't the law. The problem is me. I look at the Ten Commandments and go, oh, they're so negative. I wish I could just rip off my neighbor's wife. 
I wish I could just kill him when he ticks me off. I wish I could just steal his stuff. I love that new motorcycle he's got. The problem isn't the law. The problem's us. And he says, but I'm unspiritual. And catch this, I'm sold as a slave to sin. Remember what I said earlier? We rebelled against our creator. We lost our freedom. We thought it'd give us more freedom. We're sold. We're like slaves, he says, of sin. Now, sin's the dark side. It's all that's evil. It's all that's destructive. It's all that ruins relationships. It's everything that's a violation of love. That's what sin is. And he says, the problem with me as a fallen human being, I'm sold as a slave to sin. I don't have control over my life. He says, even if I try, I fail. In fact, he goes on. He says, I do not understand what I do. Now, can anyone ever relate to this? Like, have you ever done something like, I don't know why I just did that. I said I wasn't going to do that. I went in. I was clear. I wasn't going to say anything. I was going to be kind. I was going to hold my tongue. Like, what just happened? I, I need to find a new job now. So, uh, he said, I don't understand what I do. Then he says, for what I want to do, I, I don't do. Like, I really want, but I, I want to do this. I just don't do what I want, but I, I do what I hate. And if I do what I don't want to do, I agree with the law that it's good. Like, I'm agreeing I shouldn't want my neighbor's wife, but I just took her. I agree in principle, but in real life, I'm not following And then he goes on, he says, as it is, it's no longer I myself who do it, but it's sin living in me. He says, there's something in the human race that's gone radically wrong. We've all got this, I call it a magnetic pull to the dark side. Paul calls it sin, almost like a, like a personification, sin living in me. He said, I, kn- I know that nothing good lives in me. Now catch this, he's not saying there's, he can't ever do a good thing in his life. What he's saying is that at the core of his being, something is bent. It's like taking a glass of clear water and dropping a couple drops of ink in it. You want to drink it? It's not as bad as possible. Someone else could add more ink, but we're, we're all through. We've got selfishness and self-absorption all through everything we touch. He says, so I know that nothing good lives in me, and it's apart from Jesus. He says, that is in my sinful nature, my fallen self. He said, I have the desire to do what's good, but I cannot carry it out. There's something broken with us as a race. Now, catch this. That is why, if we're going to grow, it has to be a work of the Spirit. Because we're broken. We even mess up spiritual truth. Like, we can't even do that right, right? It's like Jesus tells us how to live, and then we start being hypocrites. Like, we even take the most precious things. Right? So what he's saying is, apart from God's work in your life, apart from the work of the Holy Spirit in your life, uh, this is not going to work. It's interesting because, you know, scholars, biblical scholars, they'll disagree about Romans 7. Some think that Paul is describing his post-Jesus experience. I've come to Jesus, but this is still a struggle I go through on a regular basis. Other believers see it as, no, no, he's talking about before he came to Jesus. This was his experience. I'm on that side of the, the, the debate. But here's what, 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 whichever side you're on, I think what we can all agree with, we have all been there, haven't we? We know this human experience of saying, I choose, I want to do this, and then we do the exact opposite. There's something wrong with us, something broken. We've lost our self-control. So that leads to number two, that we grow as we listen and follow. Now, we talk about this a lot at Rocky Peak. In fact, as I, was, as I was writing this message this week, I thought this has almost become like our unofficial motto as a church, that we 
We listen and follow. That's what Christians do. We listen to what God's saying through his spirit, through his word, and we follow. That's what it means to be a follower of Jesus. We listen and follow. And it really, to a large degree, comes out of just two or three passages of Scripture, but Galatians 5 is one of them. And in Galatians 5, I think another one's like Romans 8, Paul is kind of describing now that we've come to Jesus, we receive the Holy Spirit, what does it look like to follow him? And you can sum it up by saying, listen and follow. Um, in fact, what he says in Galatians 5, now remember Galatians 5 is the passage we're talking about the fruit of the Spirit, right? In the middle of the passage, we're going to talk before and after right now. What do you say before and after? So what Paul says is that when a man or woman comes to Jesus, that the Holy Spirit comes in our life, and when the Holy Spirit comes in our life, he begins to create, catch us supernaturally new desires. Now, if you became a Christian as an adult, I'm sure you experienced it. For example, if you read the little letter of 1 John, he says any time that someone comes to Jesus, four things happen. This is how you can know if you're really saved. He said, number one, there's a new love for God. Number two, there's a new love for people. Number three, there's a new moral compass in your life. There's a sense of right and wrong you didn't have before, and it's important. And number four, there's clarity about who Jesus is. And so all these things, so when someone comes to Jesus, all that's, you didn't create that, right? Like, you didn't give your life to Jesus, then boom, okay, what do I need to start changing what, what the Bible says, when the moment that someone comes to Jesus, the Holy Spirit, he begins from the inside out changing you, and he changes your perspective, and he changes your desires. And from the very beginning, you come to Jesus, it just begins happening. It's just supernaturally happening. And what Paul says, so when the Holy Spirit comes in a person's life, the Holy Spirit begins creating new desires. You're not generating those desires. The Holy Spirit is generating those desires. But what Paul says is, but he doesn't remove all our old desires, all our fallen. Now, you may have certain desires removed. Maybe you were an addict and God just kind of supernaturally, this happens sometimes, takes away your desire for drugs or whatever. And I mean, it happens sometimes. Um, but he doesn't take away all your old nature. You're still going to have your fallen desires. So as a follower of Jesus, we have these two sets of desires. We've got our natural human desires, and we have, catch us, the Holy Spirit-inspired, created desires. And what Paul says is the way you grow is you listen, and you follow, and you surrender to those new supernatural desires. And catch this, as you surrender, you are changed. And the fruit of the Spirit begins to grow in your life. So catch this, every time we submit to the old life, we become more like the old life. And every time you surrender to the Spirit, more your fruit matures. It's an ongoing process. So Paul puts it like this. In Galatians 5, this is, remember, the same fruit of the Spirit, just a few verses earlier. He says, live by the Spirit. Now, in the Greek, it, it actually literally says, walk by the Spirit. Throughout this whole passage, he's going to use this analogy of walking, following. We'll see it later. Keep in step with. Okay? So he says, walk by the Spirit. In other words, follow his lead. And you will not gratify the desires of your sinful nature. You still have them, but you won't gratify them. For the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the spirit, these new desires, and the spirit, what's contrary to the sinful nature, they are in conflict with each other so that you do not do what you want. You're going to have both desires. And he says, so as you surrender and listen and follow these new desires that are supernatural, Okay, so, so let me give you an example. You come to Jesus, your marriage is a mess. You're used to hating one another. And so you get into an argument, you're still going to have your old desires to enter in, win the argument, tell a lie, manipulate, do whatever it takes to win. But as a new believer, you're going to find something new that wasn't there before. And what's new is a desire for reconciliation. A desire to love, a desire to make this relationship work. And you're going to have them both. And you didn't create that desire. The Holy Spirit created that desire. So the question is, which one 
are you going to surrender to? Which desire, your old or your new, will you surrender? You don't create it, but you have to decide whether you follow it. And as we follow, these new fruits begin to grow. These new characteristics begin to grow. So let's put it this way. Think of your life, think of your life as a building, like a house. And you have different rooms in the rooms of your house. And what happens when a person comes to Jesus, the Holy Spirit begins to take you into different rooms of your house. So maybe one room is your marriage, and one room is your dating relationship. Not if you're married, but you know what I'm saying. <laughs> um, dating, right? Uh, well, maybe it is. Actually, when you first come to Jesus, that may be exactly right. Uh, and, and so then you have a room called your kids, and a room called your finances, and a room called, you know, you have all these different rooms, right? Your house, it's a big house. And so what happens is that as you come to Jesus, the Holy Spirit in his own time, because catch this, he's like the architect of this project. This is not your project. You are not your project. You, you were bought with a price. He bought your home. Your home belongs to him. He's the architect. He's the contractor. So he's in charge of this remodel. And so what happens is he begins to open up an area of your life and he opens the door. And this is a room called authenticity. He takes you back one day and he opens up this door called empathy. He takes you back a different, it's a door called integrity. And as he opens the door and he turns on the light, you can see it with new clarity. It was dark before. It didn't look so bad. You know how your, room, your house doesn't look as dirty when the lights are off? <laughs> Some of you are saving a lot of money with that energy thing. But anyway, uh, as he turns on the light, you begin to see, oh, crap. Literally. <laughs> Literally. It's like, oh, crap. You begin to see, like, Whoa. That attitude towards my wife. I'm so insane. Whoa, and the Holy Spirit begins revealing. Whoa, I thought it was okay. I thought it was her. I thought she's too sensitive. And now, whoa, there's an insensitivity in my life. Now, at that point, we have a choice. The choice is either reach over and turn off the light and slam the door and walk down the hall because we don't like what the Holy Spirit's showing us and we're not ready to change. Or we can allow that light to pierce our heart and to say, wow, that's not okay. And you know what happens is he, when he begins to reveal what's wrong, he also begins to create a desire for what's right. And it's supernatural. And it's not just that, oh, I see that, and kind of heartbreak over, I see that. There's a desire for something new. And the Holy Spirit begins to birth a vision in our lives. What would life be like if I were to grow in this area? And so we have a choice then. We have a choice. Do we go with the old, I'm just going to blow her off, and I'm going to use manipulation, I'm going to win this argument, and I'm going to scream her down like I always do, or I'm going to say, whoa, something is wrong with my heart. And Holy Spirit, you need to help me. So we decide which desire we give into. But as we embrace that, as we take the steps the Holy Spirit's showing us in that moment, we change. And so if you look at the very, how that passage ends in Galatians 5, we looked at 16 at the start, fruit of the Spirit's in the middle, but if you look at the end in 525, Paul says, since we live by the Spirit, in other words, you've been born again by the Spirit, life has been come in, this dead tree, the sap of the Holy Spirit's come in, and life is in you. He says, since we live by the Spirit, let us what? Keep in step. We listen and we follow 
and we take the next step. And here's what happens. This is so paradoxical because every time you surrender to the control of the Holy Spirit, you gain control of your life. And you think it's the exact opposite. It's so hard for us to surrender. It's so hard for us to obey. It feels like if if I obey, I'm giving someone else control. But the reality, every time we rebel against the Holy Spirit, we lose a little more control of our life. And every time we obey the Holy Spirit, we gain control. It's so interesting because we live in a culture, and I want you to listen up right now because it's really important what I'm going to say. We live in a culture that's constantly telling you to be true to yourself. Men and women, that's good advice, but which self? Your old self or your new self? And depending on which self you're true to will determine whether you get control back over your life. And you watch a person who comes to Jesus and they've been angry or their finances are out of control, they're sexually addicted or whatever it is, that there's a bitterness and you watch. And it's not easy. And let me tell you this, the hardest thing is the first step because you're under the control of the evil one, you're under your bat, the old nature, the hardest step is following him on the first step. Over time, they get easier. But you watch that person who's a slave to sin, their old nature. You watch as they, they surrender, they surrender, and they surrender. And you come back five years from now, you come back from 10 years now, they are a completely different person. They have regained control. And where they used to have anger, now they have peace. When they used to be harsh, they're now tender. When their finances used to be out of control, they are now in control. They have financial peace in their life. And when they used to be completely controlled by their sexual lust, they now have a healthy life. And step by step, day by day, choice by choice, They've listened, surrendered, and followed. And as they have followed, the fruit of the Spirit being born in their life, now when you meet that person, you don't meet hatred, you don't meet depression, you don't meet anger. You don't, what you meet is you meet things like love and joy and peace and gentleness and patience and goodness and self-control. They are no longer a victim of the raging emotions. They're in control of their own life. Jesus has given them back their life. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. (laughs) Father, we want to be that people that listen and follow and Father, thank you for your word that lays this out for us, that there will be competing desires, but as we surrender to what you're doing, we will gain control increasingly. While our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed, I just want to give you a chance to reflect on this. And uh, maybe you're here, you're a follower of Jesus, and the Holy Spirit's been speaking to you. And so I'm just going to leave you on your own right now. You know what God's doing, and you just need to have conversation. You need to surrender. But I want to talk to those of you. I haven't given you a chance to do this in this series yet. That maybe you're here today, and you've never given your life to Christ. You've been coming. You like the teaching. God's drawing you. You can sense that. I met with a man this week. He said, I can sense God drawing me. But you know, sooner or later, we have to cross over that line. It's not good enough just to listen and to like. We have to listen and follow. There comes a moment where we we get down on our knees and we give our life to Jesus and we say, hey, I've botched this thing. I've, I've been in rebellion. I'm that person and I can't grow fruit in my life apart from you. I'm a dead branch. I need you and I need to be forgiven. I need the gift of your Holy Spirit and I want to stop rebelling. I want to come under control 
of your, of your leadership. And so if you're here today, you're not yet a follower of Jesus, but you want to be, you're hungry, you want to know Jesus, you want his power in your life, then I'm going to give you a chance right now just to ask Jesus in. So I'm going to pray a very simple prayer. While our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed, no one's looking around. We're just going to ask you to pray with me and your, your mind and your heart and God to hear. Just like I did with that guy in the car this week. He said, would you pray with me? Yes, I will. So let's pray together. Dear Jesus, I ask you to come into my life. I ask you to forgive me for all my rebellion and sin. I ask you to forgive me and change me and give me the gift of your spirit and teach me how to follow you as my leader. Now our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed. If you just prayed that, first of all, I want to welcome you to the kingdom of God. If you're sincere, this is how the journey starts. In just a minute, we're going to be singing a song, worshiping together. We're going to be taking our offering, receiving our gifts and tithes. Inside your program is a little card called the Connect card. It's green and white. And if you want Jesus, you ask Jesus into your life, what I'd ask is you'd fill out the front and then the back say, Michael, I asked Jesus in my life. Or, Michael, I prayed that prayer. And I'll know what you meant and I'll send you a letter this week with some, hey, here's some first steps in following Jesus to help you along. Just give you some pointers for the path. And so, oi, worship. God, we just pray you'd come and meet with us. And we pray that you'd hear our prayers all over this auditorium, whether it's for salvation or whether it's forgiveness for our resistance or whether it's the area of our life that we're saying, God, would you help me to listen and follow in this area? We pray you'd meet us now in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand as we worship? Spirit, lead me. And that's what this passage is about today, that we're not capable of changing ourselves at the deepest level. If you think that you're going to change yourself by willpower and self-effort and discipline, good luck. <laughs> we are without him like a dead branch. That's why Jesus said, I am the vine and you are the branch. He said, abide in me and I in you and you will bear much fruit. But he said, cut off from me, you will bear nothing. And so how do we stay connected to the vine? We stay connected by listening and following. And so may this be a week where you listen and follow. May you surrender to these new desires the Holy Spirit's creating rather than the old one that lead to bondage. And as we do, we will grow and we will gain back control in our lives. And it'll be a beautiful thing. And with that capacity, we'll be able to do relationships in a completely different way. I hope you can be with us next week. Um, we just have two weeks left of this series. So next week, uh, topic on the table. Paul says, actually, you can take all of these, all of these uh, character qualities, and they all are get summed up, tied up with the word love. And so we're going to talk about love next week, what it is, what it isn't, how we grow, what it looks like uh, in our relationships. And so I hope you can be here for that. Then we'll have one final week after that. Until then, uh, if you need prayer, don't forget, over here at my right, your left, I have a prayer team. And so have a great week, and may this be a week where you listen and you follow. Amen? Amen. God bless you guys. See you next week. <laughs>